Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, thank you, Anderson. Happy Monday. A lot of unhappy things going on, so let's get after it. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We are 50 days out from this election. And boy, we are stuck in an IDK WTF cycle, meaning so many of us are forced to say, I don't know when it comes to what should be clear because nothing makes sense. We seem confused and divided on the most rudimentary and basic things. How can this country seem to be in this state? Obvious things. Then a WTF happens that we believe can't be seen as anything but what it is, like a pandemic or a cry for justice, or a big-ass fire or storms that are more frequent or worse, and yet everything is in doubt. This president is driving this cycle. His latest WTF is his attack of science as a basis for understanding natural disasters. It'll start getting cooler. I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows, actually. I wish science agreed with you. I don't think science knows was the president of the United States answer. The problem is his nonsense informs his action and inaction, both of which have left us more vulnerable than ever with this pandemic and with these disasters. But to be clear, this WTF with science must not create an IDK problem. Science is not a person. It is not a CNN anchor that Trump can just insult to get his base riled up. Science is knowledge. It is what we all look to for understanding. So if science were a person, and it isn't, science would always know what it's talking about because science is the answer. No touching stoves. Why not? Fire burns skin. Science. Want that presidential pallor, that not quite found in nature nuanced look? Chemicals can color skin and hair. Science. His intention is clear. Add science to the list of things that should not be trusted as much as he is. But we, my brothers and sisters, must break the cycle. Murdering police? Wrong. Always. Period. Saying police are murdered by those you're looking to demonize without proof? Wrong. Justice should be fair and equal for all. Period. Saying there's no problem with justice in this country is wrong. And ignoring science is wrong. Hence, telling your supporters to do things that you know will increase their risk of getting a virus that you know is worse than you're telling them is wrong. And yet this president defies what all should agree with. Listen to his own words to Woodward. New stuff. 
April 13th, the day after Easter. Remember, he wanted churches packed with people. Woodward reveals, new audio tonight in an appearance on Stephen Colbert, Trump himself was running scared at that time of catching COVID. And Bob, it's so easily transmissible, you wouldn't even believe it. I know. It's, I it, mean, you can, you can be in the room. I was in the White House a couple of days ago, a meeting of 10 people in the Oval Office, and a guy sneezed innocently, not a horrible, you know, yes. just a sneeze. The entire room bailed out, okay, including <laughs> me, by the way. So, including me, he says. No wonder he avoids church. The man who has every rapid COVID test possible at his fingertips, who has everyone tested around him all the time, he was worried about how easily you can catch this. But he was telling the rest of you to do exactly what he would never do himself. And he is still doing it because this president is the opposite of science. He doubles down on dumb and dangerous because he is about serving himself. Not you, not truth. Today, a packed gathering in the hard-hit state of Arizona. The chairs were zip-tied together as a fire precaution. But what about the dangers of this many people in the audience with no masks on? Why? Why would a president who cares about his people do this if not because he cares more about himself? And once again, the only person safely socially distanced in that room is him. In fact, the president of the United States uh, violated state rules in Nevada yesterday for crowd gatherings and his own White House guidance holding a jam-packed indoor rally of thousands as this country approaches 200,000 dead. Make the case. How is this not proof of not a care in the world? In that sea of supporters, didn't even say to wear a mask. We must get back to basics, and that starts with following science. One of his top health aides now attacking government scientists at the CDC. Michael Caputo, you've seen him on the show many times. He is the top HHS spokesman. He accused them of sedition, okay, and is pushing an insane conspiracy that left-wing hit squads are preparing for armed insurrection after the election. I asked him on the show tonight. He couldn't come. This is what the president wants you to believe. That's why he's saying it, that scientists are part of this growing radical left that are looking to ruin this country. With them, with science? Well, because they're not saying what he wants to be said about COVID. So the scientists are bad. His administration just reportedly appointed a longtime climate crisis skeptic to help run NOAA, the federal agency that produces much of the climate research. This guy formerly served as Delaware's climatologist, but was allegedly forced out because of his controversial views on the issue. There must be more focus on what we know and not what some politician wants you to believe. A president who refuses to say that global warming is real, let alone playing a role in the California fires, instead blaming bad land management. 
I was talking to a head of a major country, and he said, we're a forest nation. We consider ourselves a forest nation. This was in Europe. I said, that's a beautiful term. He said, we have trees that are far more explosive. He meant explosive in terms of fire. But we have trees that are far more explosive than they have in California, and we don't have any problem because we manage our forests. So we have to do that in California, too. Now, he's going after California because he thinks he's going to lose California. Okay, but here's the point for you to take home left and right. Put it to the side. Just be reasonable. Much of the fires out on the West right now in the West were started or are burning on federal lands. So if it were a question of land management and it is federal land that is at least part of the problem, whose job is it? Who's accountable for any bad land management if it's federal land? Who's at the top of that food chain? He is. California's governor schooled him with something today. We acknowledge our role and responsibility to do more in that space, but one thing is fundamental. 57% of the land in this state is federal forest land. 3% is California. Hmm. 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 He doesn't know. He doesn't know. And you know what's worse? He doesn't care. Sitting there with his arms crossed, Gavin Newsom telling him, you are in charge of the land you say is not properly managed. So what does he have to say to you about that? Just think about it. He doesn't think they manage the land well. That's federal land. You're in charge. It's okay that he says nothing. All blame, no shame. That's what he's about. Now, look, it matters, okay? We can't deny truth just because it's inconvenient. We have to get a live update on Hurricane Sally, uh, on the fires, both, because we have two natural disasters hitting us. Uh, We want more on that state of those infernos out west. So let's start with fire, because I'm talking fire, and then we will go down south to see what's happening with this hurricane. But first, CNN's Martin Savage in Lyons, Oregon. I got it right, Lyons? Yeah, you do, Chris. It's one of those areas that's been just blasted by fire. We're on the edge of what's called the Peachy Creek Fire. This is the fire that has already racked up a number of fatalities, including a 13-year-old boy and his grandmother and a number of other people. It just roared through this area. Oregon is not used to the kind of fires they've seen in the last week. In fact, in the last week, one million acres went up in flames. That is usually what they see burning wildfires over two years. Two years worth of land gone up in one week. There are 34 fires currently burning, 5,600 firefighters that are on the line tonight trying to control those blazes. They have had good fortune. The weather has turned in their favor somewhat. Temperatures have dropped, humidity levels have gone up, and the winds have died down. That's all good news. But there are still 10 dead in this state, and there are 22 that are confirmed missing. And of course, as we know, the number of missing is going to go down, and the number of those who are confirmed killed are going to go up. It's still too dangerous for many search crews to get into some of the areas. Other good news, rain predicted later in the week. The bad part of that news, lightning and wind will come with it. And as you know, Chris, lightning starts the fire and wind is what drives them. So there is still a lot of concern in Oregon tonight. Creates those fire nados uh, and all that turbocharging of the flames where it just randomly seems to pick communities to destroy. Martin, please be safe, you and the team. And as always, thank you for helping us understand a very dangerous situation better. All right, so from fire to water. Meantime, the Gulf Coast, 
Hurricane Sally, now a cat two. It's expected to strengthen in the next 24 hours before making landfall. Not unusual. Uh, now, what is somewhat unusual here, though not entirely, CNN meteorologist Tom Sater will help us through this one, is you had a little bit of a direction shift. And obviously, mm -hmm. as your map shows you, this is one among many brothers and sisters that is still out there, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, can you believe this? I mean, we're talking about turbocharged, uh, you said a moment ago. Five named storms. Records go back to 1850, Chris. This has only happened once before in history. That was 49 years ago, 1971. Paulette moved right over Bermuda. It was in the eye. They named Teddy today. They named Vicky. There's only one name left on the list, Wilfred. And we're only halfway through the season. We knew it was going to be a supercharged season, and no doubt about it, we are three weeks ahead of the benchmark year 15 years ago. We knew that Sally was going to increase in strength. However, last night at this time, it was just a tropical storm. It went under, underwent rapid intensification. That's a signature of climate change. That means it jumped for, uh, 35 miles per hour in less than 24 hours. It actually went from 60 miles per hour to 100. Now, no, Tom, it's always we, happened. It's always happened, Tom. They've always that's done true. this. <laughs> You know, typically one or two a year actually go through rapid intensification. This is the fourth hurricane. It's the third one that's done it. But here's what's happened, and this is what's a little uh, frightening, because we're not really sure, Chris, where this is going to make landfall or when. We thought it would make landfall somewhere near Pascagoula after midnight tonight. Well, because it's slowing down so much, remember Harvey in Texas dropping all that rain, this could spin out here for 24 hours. They've extended the warnings over into Florida, just east of Pensacola. But the model still, we have to lean on them. It looks better for New Orleans now. There's a big cutoff in the rain. They may only get a couple of inches, but with it spinning offshore, that means we could have over 24 hours of a surge. And then, you know, with each passing hour, that water gets deeper and deeper inland, but it's going to halt the progress of any rain falling to make its way and recede back into the Gulf. And if you're talking about it spinning, here's the difference with Harvey. Harvey was spinning over land. Mm -hmm. This is spinning over a water source. So I think this is going to surprise a lot of people. But again, this could make landfall late tomorrow. It could be after midnight tomorrow. It could be midday Wednesday. And I wish we had better idea, but that just means we're going to have to watch this hour by hour. I think Mobile Bay could get hit hard. Right now, the National Hurricane Center has it going in toward uh, Pascagoula. But 6 to 10 inches of rain all the way up to the Carolinas. So it's not just inland flooding. That'll be the worst with the mm. surge. But you can see these bands moving in. It's going to be a long process. We've got to uh, watch this one every hour. We will. And as always, you come right back to me uh, if you need to give an update during the show. Sure. My time is your time. And other quick points. Uh, that water collecting up. Tom has taught me in the past, that's a convection experience within this type of storm where the spinning will mm. suck up more water so there's more water to dump. That's called science. When I said to him, I don't like what you're saying about it spinning up stronger like that. It's not true. It always happens, which is BS, right? What does the meteorologist Tom Sater say? No, actually, uh, not, not this many storms. This is unusual, which is why he believes it's a function of a dangerous dynamic called climate change. See, that's science. And that's what we have to respect. It's not always going to give us the answer. Sometimes it's developing. But just going on what works for you in the moment is dangerous. It's as dangerous as telling people, don't worry, the storm won't be that bad. Go on outside, have a barbecue. Go to church on Easter. Don't worry about it. I'm not. But you should. And then telling people at that time you knew that it was dangerous for them to be doing it. And you thought it was going to spread like crazy. And that it was terrifying how fast it spreads. And you're telling them to do things like that. That's the difference between science and playing people for a sucker. COVID was going to disappear. He said, magically. It's going to magically get cooler now. 
So that will just take out the fires and hurricanes, right? We're going to take all this nonsense to a former EPA administrator, all right? A real Republican, a Trump world insider also we're going to have. Next, let's talk science and sense. The reality of science has never been a more real threat to American lives. Yet the president who said he inherited his Uncle John's brilliant genius as a scientist actively discredits science. Let's talk with two Republicans who know the threat. Former Governor Christine Todd Whitman ran the EPA under George W. Bush and Miles Taylor, former chief of staff to Trump's own Homeland Security Secretary. Welcome both to primetime. Good to be with you. You know, I always remember growing up the Republicans being the smart ones. Pew just found that 27 percent of, of, of Republicans slash lean Republican trust scientists. Governor, 27 percent? How? That's his president. It really is. He has been denigrating science since the moment he took office. He has been saying the scientist doesn't matter if it doesn't it doesn't comport with the message he wants to send or the things he believes in his brilliant brain are true, then the science is wrong. The scientists are wrong. He's been hamstringing them. He's been undermining people's confidence in government overall in our institutions of government, rule of law, and minor things like that. But science has really taken a hit. And those 27%, I will bet you anything, are the ones who will switch over and vote for Joe Biden this, this winter, this November, and it's the rest of them who are these Trump acolytes who just believe everything he says. And even when he tries to walk it back, when they hear his voice in those tapes from Bob Woodward saying, this is serious, this is much worse than I think. And yet he has these rallies where people don't wear masks, except the people standing behind him. He makes them wear masks. So he looks good on the shot. But the other people, and then they'll say, well, I don't believe this. It's not real. And they were asked the question, but the president himself said it was, no, no, it's not real. I mean, that's what happens when you keep hitting a message home, and he's done it enough now and undermined science enough now that people don't know who to believe. Miles, I see you uh, nodding along with much of what the governor is saying. You know, okay, fine. If he's going to say something and people believe him, so they believe it. But usually that line stopped when it came to non-political sentiment. You know, like if he were to say fire is not hot, I do not believe Trump supporters would be touching stoves. I don't believe that. What is it about science? We know what it is about institutions. It's easy for him to bash institutions because people do feel humiliated, disaffected, thrown out by this system, betrayed by this system. I get that. But science, why is that such an easy sell for him? Well, look, I've got to agree with the governor. Donald Trump is anti-science, but I'm going to give you the simple explanation for why he is. Science represents truth. Donald Trump doesn't like truth unless it fits his narrative. So when the science runs contrary to the narrative he wants, it's no longer truth to him. It's inconvenient, and he'll push it away. And he'll push the people away who try to tell him about it. He'll push the information away. Uh, and ultimately, that puts the American people in danger. We saw this all the time, Chris. So the, the Department of Homeland Security, of course, we had FEMA uh, within our department. And the people at FEMA are responsible for tracking things like climate change because it's going to affect flooding and hurricanes, et cetera. They would be scared to brief the president and the White House on climate change and climate developments that affect disaster mitigation because they were worried 
uh, they were going to get chewed away. Now, this isn't surprising in a sense because this is a man who we couldn't brief unless we brought pictures with us. But what's really affecting to me, Chris, is this week while we're talking about the California wildfires and the hurricanes, I've actually been in the room with the president on both a response to California wildfires and hurricanes. And let me tell you how you responded in terms of science. The last time we went through this with the California wildfires, again, he denied that it was the federal government's problem. He said what he's saying now. He said it's a land management issue. But then incredibly, he told us he wanted to cut off the aid to Californians because he was mad because the Californian people didn't support him politically. That's what happened then. I'm worried that's what he'll do now. When it came to hurricanes, last time I was in the Oval Office briefing him on hurricanes, the big question he had for us is, is that the direction hurricanes always spin? Counterclockwise. That's what he wanted to know, Chris. He wanted to know if it spun that way, just like toilets flushing in a different direction down in Australia. That's what the president cared about. And one last thing, when we were trying to convince him that he needed to tell the people in the Carolinas to evacuate when we had a hurricane coming into North and South Carolina, the president said, well, I saw a Trump supporter on TV say he was going to hunker down, and that's what I want to tell the American people to do, because Trump supporters are tough. Let's tell them to hunker down. This, as his scientists were telling him, you need to tell the people of the Carolinas to evacuate to save their lives. But he saw a guy with a MAGA hat and a parking lot and a grocery store on television say, I'm going to hunker down because I'm a Trump supporter. And that changed his mind. This Go is the president of the Governor, United States. I'm not sure if Miles wants me to laugh or cry, uh, but <laughs> it, I, I'm balancing back and forth between the two reactions. And this is the part where it starts to become uh, problematic. You know, you want to believe in somebody, fine. Um, if you want to say, you know what, Miles, let's assume he's right about all of that. Politicians stink. And I'm not surprised because all politicians stink. But when he says this is a land management issue and then people find out what he does not deny, which is it is largely federal land that is the problem here, which means it would be his problem. It does not move the needle with any of his supporters. Why? I know it's extraordinary to me, Chris. I do not understand how you can present people with facts. They can see it for themselves, and yet they just will not accept. They have so bought in to the fact that it's only what Trump says, not what he does, but what he says that matters. And it's scary because it's costing people their lives. And, you know, it might be fine for those people who go to his rallies and say, well, if I get sick and die, that's fine. I'm in God's hands. But what about all the people with whom you interact when you go home from those rallies? They don't deserve this, and yet you could be a carrier. It's just mind-boggling to me that we have reached this stage where you have a, a man who is promoting conspiracy theories, denying science, looking away from his job. I mean, his, his job is to protect the American people. He is miserable at that. He has never really done it because he doesn't really care. He only cares about himself and whatever is going to reflect well to get his voters out so he can win in November. And he's running scared now. And so he is going to become even more dug in on his, this idea that what he says is right. Mm -hmm. Everything else is a conspiracy. He's certainly going for broke. Uh, Governor Whitman, thank you very much. Christine Todd Whitman and Miles Taylor. I appreciate the insight. Thank you very much. All right. Thank we you. turn to the manhunt for the gunman who ambushed and tried to assassinate two California deputies sitting in their patrol car. He's still on the loose after more than 48 hours. If you have information, it is the only right thing to do in this situation that is so wrong. Let people know if you know what happened. Nothing but despicable. But there is a larger conversation we have to have as well. No political lens 
should be used in looking at this. I'm back with two important voices in law enforcement next. The L.A. County Sheriff says, quote, it is a miracle that two of his deputies escaped death. I need to warn you, this video I'm going to show of them being attacked is disturbing, but we need to see reality so that we can be disgusted by it and push against it. These deputies were shot. They were ambushed, sitting in their cruiser Saturday in Compton. And then the gunman, still on the loose, you'll see him, he walks up, shoots, directly into the window before running off. It is incredible he failed to kill either of those deputies. The extent of what we know, that's it. I just showed it to you. Anyone who says they know why this happened is pushing an agenda because we don't know anything other than what you just saw. And there are a lot of crazy people. I know we don't like that word with mental health awareness, and I'm all about that. But you know what? That guy either has a bad mind, a bad soul, or a bad brain, or a combination of all of them. Let's bring in two men who know how this fits into the bigger conversation this nation is having over the police. Former Baltimore Police Commissioner Anthony Barksdale and Chuck Wexler, Executive Director of the Police Executive Research Forum. Thanks uh, for both of you being here. Thank you for having Thank me. You. So in a situation uh, like this, um, uh, Commissioner Barksdale, where do you want people's heads and hearts to go immediately? What should this mean to us? First, I, uh, I would hope everyone would be concerned for the, the sheriffs that were victims of this attack. An incident like this hits home to me 18 years ago. I had a partner killed in an ambush off duty. And it was vital for us to solve the crime and not make it a uh, political, uh, a piece of a political game, a political agenda. The case comes first. Solving this case is the priority. And I think it's huge that you're asking your audience to come forward. You've got to focus on this case, make a prosecutable case and get this person off the streets. And that's the focus. And Brother Wexler, when you see this uh, and you know what's being said, what do you want to remind people about situations like this? I mean, they're rare, thank God, but it's not like we haven't heard about them. Um, you know, we had one in New York not that long ago, and then there was a copycat uh, not long after that. Yeah, no, my first reaction when I saw this was uh, December 2014 when two police officers in Bedford-Stuyvesant, New York, were assassinated, very similar to this. Look, it's, it's tragic, you know, that, that, look, this is the only profession where you put on a uniform and to some people you are a target. No other profession like that. Um, so this is, this is horrible, an assassination, um, but... You know, and, and hopefully they will identify this person. It's very important to find out what happened here, what the motivation was for this individual. But right now we're just praying that these officers will be okay. I mean, amazing uh, that it didn't wind up like bed God forbid. Uh, and the way the deputy, uh, the female involved, got out, applied a tourniquet, and was making all these rational decisions after being shot like that, uh, phenomenal statement of her character and her competence. Uh, so, Commissioner, then... It starts. You know why this happened. You know why. Uh, that guy looks black in that. Blacks are angry. 
And this is what happens. This is what happens. It's all over the Internet. It's all over, especially the right and the fringe. What do you say in response? I think that we, um, those in leadership, have to stop this, uh, this wave of jumping to conclusions. And it's happening time and time again, whether the police are victim or allegedly uh, the problem. And there are cases where cops are the problem. We've got to be honest, Chris. But when you have two officers shot sitting in the vehicle, we need to know all of the details. We need to let the homicide detectives, everyone, robbery detectives, everyone must get involved and solve this case. Jumping to conclusions must be stopped. It's, it's out of control in the United States. And it's even worse when you've got a president that wants to say death penalty. You, you can't do that. We need to know the mm. facts. And we don't have them all right now. Right. And just so people don't think I'm pulling this out of thin air, you know, uh, to cause trouble, because this would not be uh, Brother Lewis's definition of good trouble, that's for sure. Listen to what the sheriff said. Actions, words have consequences, and our job does not get any easier because people don't like law enforcement. Now, look, Chuck, the reality is a lot of people don't like uh, law enforcement. And you have people try to kill cops to get stripes with their gang, uh, to get a reputation because they're unstable, because they're angry about something. A lot of reasons. If anything, it should inform us why officers are so on point when they're doing their job, because they know this is a reality that can come visit them the way it does in no other job that any of us has. But the idea that words have consequences, why would the sheriff go there, in your opinion, Chuck? Well, words do have consequences. And, you, you, you know, you, that was back in 2014 that there was this rhetoric out there. Um, and so some people and people who are mentally unstable, they hear some of these uh, this rhetoric. And I think he's talking that, about what's going on right now, not in 2014, Chuck. Well, but no, in 2014, that that was the case. We don't know what happened. We don't know exactly why this individual did right. it. And I think it's important to get the facts. But, you know, something to keep in mind, you know, most people like the cops, right? Right. I mean, you know, what, what we're seeing today is we're seeing, you know, some very difficult scenes. And let's be honest, some of these videos are really difficult and we need to learn from them. See, that's what we that's what has to change. Every time we see one of these tough videos, every police chief in the country should take his people, bring them in and say, how would we do that differently? We have to change how we're thinking about this whole thing. Where we are today right now is one side and then the other side. You know, we really have to be the grown-ups. We really have to step back and figure out how do we get cooler heads to prevail? We all have to change. You know, people want the cops to change. People want the community to change. We all have to own these issues and stop the finger pointing. Commissioner, I'll give you the last word. I, I agree with the training and tactics. I am happy that these uh, sheriffs appear that they're going to survive. But we have to look at issues such as officer safety. When I was a cop in Baltimore, if I'm riding with a partner, I, my head's on a swivel while that partner is doing the paperwork. So it goes back to training, like Mr. Wexler just said. And we've got to keep our cops safe and be sure that they're doing the right thing when they're out there to make it back home. We need them. 
Uh, we need those men and women who are brave enough to put on the uniform, the communities of color. Uh, the more impoverished a community gets, the more it needs the police. And the people there will tell you that. A lot of stuff's getting mixed up and sideways now in terms of what people think and what people really believe in their communities. And Anthony, I know this kills you um, watching this happen um, to, to the people in blue. And Chuck, I know it does as well. I'm sorry this happened. And um, I appreciate you both being on the show to talk about what matters. Thank you. All right. God Thank bless you. and be well. The coronavirus story that we're just not getting to you enough. This long haul syndrome is not hype. You're about to meet a father who's been through six months of hard COVID and his nine year old son has endless symptoms as well. That's right. The kids who aren't supposed to get it. It's not supposed to be the same. He's learned so much. I got to tell you, this kid and his father are worth listening to. I learned some things. Next. Kids don't really get coronavirus. Wrong science. 550,000 children in this country have tested positive for COVID since the pandemic began. Some we're learning are also not just getting over it, not just asymptomatic. They're hurting and they're becoming long haulers. My next guest recently wrote about what he and his nine-year-old son have faced. Nine. It's not just physical. Convincing others, even doctors, in the early months that their pains were real was a lonely, taxing battle. Jonathan Lippman writes, I've now been sick with COVID-19 for over 180 days. Until recently, almost nobody believed me, so I stopped even believing myself. When you tell the same story over and over and nobody hears you, you start to wonder whether the world has gone deaf or if you've just ceased to exist. Jonathan Lippman and his son Eli are here. They are long haulers. You're going to hear about this because it's real. And we have Dr. William Lee, a world-renowned physician studying long haulers. Jonathan, Eli, Dr. Lee, thank you for joining me tonight. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Chris. Yeah. All right. So, Jonathan, uh, look, what's not unusual is uh, you got sick back in March. What's not unusual is that the testing was all over the place. It was hard to figure out what was going on. A little less usual is that your son got it um, because we hadn't heard a lot about younger people getting it. Now, the part that is most relevant is that you haven't been able to get rid of it. And that is a lonely world, uh, not just lonely in terms of what you don't know, but what other people insist is true about you. Jonathan, what did you deal with in terms of the not believing? Well, we were first got sick in mid-March and it was hard to get tests and our tests came late. When we got them, they came back negative. And once you get a negative COVID test to the medical community, you don't have COVID, period, full stop. And so every time we came back to the doctors to try to figure out what was going on with us, um, the explanations kept changing. Maybe it's some other virus. Maybe it's some problem in your gut. Maybe you just have anxiety. And no one would really believe us that we were still sick. And when you keep being not believed, you stop believing yourself. So you got diagnosed with COVID and you'd been struggling with it all along, but then 
it didn't really go away. Now, you and I had similar cases uh, in terms of the fever and all that. Um, what happened in terms of your experience with what we're now calling long haul symptoms? I mean, it's a lot of uh, intense body aches. Uh, I broke my shoulder once while I was on a, uh, on a bike crash, and it felt a lot like that on most mornings. It's a lot of, uh, I had shortness of breath, couldn't make it up the stairs really without gasping, can't make it more than a few blocks. But the worst part has been the fatigue. I can't get through a regular day. I can't work full time. Um, Eli will tell you I like to cook dinner. I cook dinner for the family most nights before I was sick, and I couldn't do that anymore. I uh, couldn't take care of my family because I was just falling asleep, passing out on my couch every day. Now, Eli had that fatigue also. And just, you know, to put it out there, I've been fairly open, Eli, with what happened in my family. My 14-year-old, Mario, um, the one who maybe you guys will do some Minecraft action at some point, but school first, school first, uh, he too had that fatigue. And Eli, I know you dealt with that also, where some days he'd be okay. Other days he was in bed all day. What was it like for you and what is it still like for you? So before it felt like getting the day after you got smashed into a wall. Like you're achy, you're sore, you're tired, but like not the tired where you go to sleep. I can't go to sleep I went in the daytime. I wish I could because if I could, I would. But my body's just like, nope, you can't go to sleep. Every time I try, I just don't, and I don't like it. Dr. Lee, very unusual, first of all, to hear a kid as articulate as Eli, period. Uh, but the uh, it not going away with adults, rare, but we're starting to get uh, educated. Kids, I haven't really heard about at all. What's your take for them? Well, Chris, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. And, you know, as we've been talking about, long haul symptoms actually come uh, after COVID has struck and it really beats people up and not everybody. Some people get better and they just go on with their lives. But for those people who actually feel beaten up in the same way um, uh, that you guys are talking about, we need to take these symptoms really seriously. We're still trying to understand What's going on? My research is in blood vessels. We believe that there's actually a problem that uh, that can affect your blood vessels and we need to heal those blood vessels up. But there may be other things going on as well. And so one of the important things is to keep uh, talking to your doctor and doctors need to keep listening to their patients and listening to shows like this um, uh, to really understand that there is something unfolding between, but before our eyes that we need to actually come together with the patients and with ourselves uh, as researchers and as doctors to try to help heal. Jonathan, what has worked for you and what do you want to know from the doctor, if anything? I think what's worked seems to be rest and time. Uh, Eli, Eli and I are both doing acupuncture and that seemed to have caused some relief. Um, I guess we've been hearing about uh, things you can do to try to support blood vessel health. Uh, that's what's something that a lot of the long haulers have been talking about on places like the uh, Support Core Facebook group. Um, so I've been trying different supplements and stuff that are supposed to support blood vessel health. But if there's any anything the doctor can advise people on for that, uh, we're all ears. Doc? Yeah. Yeah, well, so one of the important things for blood vessel health is actually to try to 
get as much sleep and try to get as much regular movement. It may be difficult to exercise, but movement keeps blood going through, coursing through our blood vessels, and that can be helpful. Um, also eating uh, leafy greens. I just came out of a plant-based nutrition conference, and I gave a, uh, a lecture about um, uh, food and diet and nutrition and COVID. There's a lot to be said now more than ever about eating to beat disease. And so I think this is something that um, we can talk more about uh, uh, at any point. But I do think that uh, there's more research to be done. Uh, talk to your doctor about nutrition. Uh, uh, go uh, work with your survivors groups. Uh, Eli, what do you want kids to know? Because this is scary stuff. And uh, most of the adults are telling people your age, you'll be okay. Uh, you probably won't get this. And if you do, it won't be any big deal. What do you want people to know? Kids, I'm sorry to say this, but it is a big deal. It will hurt. You just got to face the truth. Sometimes you're not okay. And right now is one of these times if, if kids have long haul, they're not okay. But the good side is you will get better. Before after five before here like five months before this i felt like i was just gonna die at any moment but not really die i just felt super tired i couldn't get up i didn't want to do anything but now i'm walking around i'm getting more energy and i'm feeling better we have started to see some improvement for him, which has been really, really heartening. Um, you know, a month ago, he was still really down at the depths of it. And the last month or so with the acupuncture and more rest and starting to really admit to ourselves that we're sick and give ourselves the space to rest, he has improved. But, you know, one of the other symptoms, uh, Chris, that I, you know, I wanted to tell people about is Eli had a low-grade fever every day for months. And that was one of the most maddening things. We would tell the doctors about it and they would say, well, it's only a hundred degree fever, so we're not worried. But a hundred degree fever every day for months, you know something's wrong with your kid. And I just kind of wish some of the doctors had listened to us about that. Even this morning, he had a fever again and it, he was back down by the afternoon, but it really wiped him out this morning. And, and there's, that's still a thing that we're struggling with. Doc, any t take on the fever? Well, you know, this the fevers are caused by um, cytokines in our bodies that are rearing up trying to fight disease. And so uh, hopefully this is actually something that's going to get better for Eli. And I think better for everyone who actually has got long haul syndrome. Eli, I, I actually have to tell you, I, I haven't heard a nine year old actually explain medical symptoms as well as you. So if you ever want to go to medical school, I'll write you a letter of recommendation. That's what my grandma says, but I'm going to be either a zoologist or a vet. So maybe metal that's medical. That's you heard it here. Well, okay. if you become a vet, if you become a vet, Eli, that's good because then you can be my doctor. Jonathan, Eli, there thank you, you very much uh, for being with us. We're family now. We'll stay in touch. Uh, I'll keep listening to you. I'll have you back on the show if there's something that happens uh, that is relevant to people's understanding. And Dr. Lee, as always, appreciate the good counsel. Thanks, Chris. Eli, Thank you so much, I'll Chris. hook you up with Mario. We'll see how good you are at Minecraft. Take care. Keep getting better, guys. Um, we look forward to it. Thanks. Glitch, though. So. <laughs> Thanks. Take Bye -bye. care. All the kids complain about glitching. You believe we just heard more about facing the truth with the pandemic from a nine-year-old than we have from our president. 
We'll be right back. Let me just leave you with this bit of perspective. You can't tell me that you look at that father and son and see somebody who's faking it for you. 180 days they've been dealing with this. That kid is bright as hell. He's got some future. 100 fever for days and days and weeks. Can you imagine what you would do if that were your kid? And yet in this country, look what we're doing with our schools. We're working on an assumption that, yeah, no, yeah, they'll be fine. And even when they're playing it too careful, because look, I've been very clear with you. I'm not happy that my kids aren't in school. And I don't see these ideas as in conflict. Two things can be true at the same time. I want my kids in school and I get that they screwed up the plan and they don't have the rapid testing and the right mentality to make it happen. But imagine being that father dealing with what he's dealing with himself and then your kid. This is going to be the reality for many in this country. And that is going to wind up being part of science. Let me bring in CNN tonight with its star, of course, D. Lemon. You know, this idea that the president doesn't like science. No, it's what he doesn't like is truth that is not on the side of what he's selling. Because when it comes to the vaccine, he's all about that science, isn't he, Don yeah. Lemon? Yeah, he is. He's all about that science with the vaccine, right? Well, that kid knows more about um, science than, than you or I or the president of the United States. That kid has gone through it, and he knows. And perhaps that president, that's who the president should take counsel from, is like that father and that kid, because then he may... He may change his tune. I don't know, but it's not expedient for him for politically expedient. So who knows? A kid said, sometimes you just have to deal with the truth and you're, it's going to be sick. You're going to be hard, but you're going to get through it. You know, there will be, will be better. That's more truth about the pandemic than we've gotten from the president. But I'm telling you, it's not just that he questions science and he's some critical thinker. He doesn't like it when it doesn't match his cell, but the vaccine he likes so if he's not about science, why does he like the vaccine? Because yeah. it works for him. Let me, t- let me tell you something. I'm concerned about that because I'm concerned about you in this long haul. I tried to get with you this weekend. Our schedules did not link that up. That was on you. At all. Oh, come on. That was on okay, you. So I asked you twice to hang out. I know. So I didn't get <laughs> you to You see what I'm saying? I'm Talk about, about truth. That. I'm telling yeah. you about a couple of things. I'm telling you I'm concerned about you. I'm also concerned about my family down south. To make sure because of the next storm. Because of the next storm. And I'm also concerned about um, the families and the officers uh, in, in California, because there is no excuse for that. None. Zero, none at all. And listen, I think we should be very clear because I hear people conflating it to the protests or that we don't know that yet. We don't know that. But what we do know is something horrible happened and there should be no excuse made for it. And, um, and I, I hope these officers get better. Uh, My heart and and my thoughts go out to their families and also to the members uh, of the department. But there's no excuse for that kind of violence. Listen, you can't create a life. You can't bring a life back into the world once you have taken it away. That is not your right as a human being to be able to do that, to kill a person like that. And so I just hope, I really hope that it's not connected to, to that. Um, and you know, I wish that it did not happen, but here's what I will say. You cannot say in one voice that the rhetoric that's happening about police and reform and all that leads to that. And then say the rhetoric that the, the president is saying doesn't lead to violence or the actions from others as well. Both are valid. 
the rhetoric can lead to that, and the president's rhetoric can lead to um, violence and to hateful things as well. They're both equally valid. So you can't say one is valid and the other is not. They both are. Mm. And as I was saying at the top of the show, we're caught in a cycle, though, where that's exactly what people say. They only want to accept the yeah. reality that backs their beliefs in the moment. But I'll tell you what it is a window into is the reality of being a police officer. Yeah. They do their job in a way that the rest of us never have to, which is worrying. Is today the day that somebody tries to kill me? Yeah. Uh, and well, that that's is what, part of our that's reality. part of being a police officer. Sadly, and listen, and yeah. I, again, as I say, terrible, no excuse. But that's these guys sign up and like the firefighters. You and I talked about 9-11 on Friday. These guys walk towards yep. danger. Uh, and that's that's their job. But their job is not to be ambushed, certainly. By, <laughs> that, yeah, that is for sure. But yeah. I'm happy you're putting it out there. And you know, what would be great if they wind up catching that guy because the community gives them tips that leads to him, because that happens all the time. Yeah. Where communities step up and protect the people who are protecting them. Yes. OK, sir, I got to run. Get Please ready do. To get get into my show. I'll just Thank keep you. asking you when you want to see me. Don't worry about it. I'll never stop. I'll it's, never stop. It's, are you a stalker? You heard you. That was very stalkery. I'm worried. I'm a little bit concerned. I Security. couldn't believe how late you went to bed last night. Security. Oh, oh, did I text you late into the night? No, I was sitting outside your window. Oh, <laughs> creepy. See you later. I love you. Donna. I love you, too. This is. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.